Welcome to Art of the Score, the podcast that explores, demystifies and celebrates some of the greatest soundtracks of all time from the world of film, TV and video games. I'm Andrew Pogson and in each episode we'll be joined by Daniel Golding and Nicholas Buck as we check out a soundtrack we love, break down its main themes, explore what makes the score tick and hopefully impart our love of the world of soundtracks. In episode 10, we explore the music from the 1989 smash hit movie Batman, directed by Tim Burton and music by the wonderful Danny Elfman. Batman is widely regarded as the movie that reinvigorated the superhero movie genre and was a huge box office success for Warner Brothers, sitting in fifth place at the time in the list of highest grossing films of all time. And joining me on this dark journey through the bowels of Gotham is composer, arranger, orchestrator, conductor and recently fired Gotham Balloon Parade coordinator, it's Nicholas Buck. How are you doing, Nick? <laughs> I'm fantastic. This is such a great score. Uh, one of Elfman's earliest, but um, absolutely a, a cornerstone of the film music uh, um, output, I guess we'd say, of the 1980s. And um, it's a real, real ripper. And uh, filling out our crime-fighting trio is writer, critic, university lecturer, and having been raised in Melbourne, which used to be called, Nick, used to be called Batmania. Did you know that? I did know that, yeah. Yeah, well, there we go. Is it any wonder that we're joined by the boy wonder himself? It's Dan Golding. <laughs> Holy podcast recording, uh, <laughs> Batman. No, this is this is going to be a great episode, I think. This yes. is um, probably my favourite Elfman score. I mean, as you said, it's uh, one of one of his earliest works, but still, I think for me, one of, one of his best, if not his best. Yeah, so um, we... Uh, have been really looking forward to this episode. We're all sort of fans of uh, Batman, and I think this one, it would be fair to say that this this movie sort of really uh, ignited my interest in certainly Batman and superheroes in general, to be honest. Mm. I was a, a young tacker in, in primary school when this one came out in 1989. Probably would have been 1990 in Australia. They always came out a year later. But uh, anyway, I remember this one being like just mind-blowing, how amazing it was. I was collecting everything, collecting like anything with a Batman symbol on it. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting into this one. And Danny Elfman. We haven't gone mm. to Danny Elfman yet. We've done a lot of John Williams, mm. but no Danny Elfman. Why Danny Elfman, Nick? Do you Are you a fan? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's easily in the sort of top top five film composers of the last sort of generation or two you know certainly up there with 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 Williams and Horner and Goldsmith probably slightly younger than those guys but uh, you know an interesting career didn't really come from a hugely classical based background you know more from a, a, a sort of a, a pop era but his style is unmistakably his own like God almost more than some of the other composers we, we've looked at it is so um, iconic and really sums up you know, zany, dark, brooding, minor key stuff better than almost anyone else out there. And I think that's why people love him and is the perfect match to Tim Burton. And before we get stuck right into this this one, if you're listening at home on your uh, your iDevice or your, uh, you know, anything that we, that plays podcasts, go ahead and hit subscribe on iTunes and uh, leave us a rating, leave us a review. I love reading those reviews because sometimes it helps us to know what's working and what's uh, what can we can improve on. But also, if you want to uh, chat to us, hit us up on Art of the Score at Twitter. Uh, so, at Art of the Score, sorry. And on Instagram. And, Dan, 
has been kind enough to put together a Facebook uh, page right. as well. So you can also, if you're a Facebook guy or gal, hit us up on Facebook as well, also Art of the Score, and we'd be happy to get back to you if you've got any questions, got any requests. So... Without further ado, Dan, what can you tell us about Batman? So, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting uh, in that it comes in a, a really formative moment again for Hollywood. Uh, we've been talking, you know, a lot about the, the really major films, the really major franchise films, uh, especially uh, with our recent episodes on Star Wars, which, you know, totally changed how franchising and, and, and major blockbusters worked. Batman is another one of these films, as is Jurassic Park, which comes, uh, you know, a few years later, sort of half a decade after Batman. And and it's directed by Tim Burton, who at this point had sort of made his name. I mean, he was an animator, actually, at Disney Studios. Was he really? Yeah, he was. Mm. Yeah, that was his first sort of gig and made, um, you know, a couple of short films made um, Frank and Weenie, I think. Uh, oh, which, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's stop motion animator or? or uh, um, no, hand, hand drawn. Hand drawn, yeah. Drawn, yeah, right. yeah. Okay. You know, obviously visual style is incredibly important to all of his films um, and, and probably that, that stems at least in part from his background as an animator. But, uh, you know, through um, a few successes, he did um, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, the Pee Wee Herman film. Then uh, uh, Beetlejuice was his really, you know, big breakthrough stylistic, you know, recognizably Tim Burton film, um, he gets given the keys to Batman, uh, which was, you know, it was a bit of a risk at this point because there'd been Superman in the 70s and 80s. And then, you know, there, there wasn't really a huge market for superhero films uh, and certainly not Batman films uh, that, you know, the, the last one was the, you know, the, the sort of cartoonish, uh, w which I think is fantastic. And maybe we'll talk about this in a moment, but, you know, the, the 1966 uh, version and, you know, I think people sort of associated superhero films as being these bright, colourful, kid sort of focused things. Cert certainly for kids. Mm. I remember that as, as a kid. Yep. I remember that superheroes were well and truly sort of goofy characters that that only nerdy kids were into. Um, but this yeah. movie sort of really felt like it legitimised yeah, you know, the genre, really. Well, absolutely. I mean, looking back on it today, like some of the effects of age pretty poorly but you know it's much d darker uh, you know certainly nothing like the Dark Knight series but you know in comparison to the Superman films and what you'd expect um, at the time it was and also those Adam West ones with the yeah, tight leggings and that, that, that's the right, awful yeah. grey yeah, outfit <laughs> that's right yeah no the, uh, look I would defend the Adam West um, <laughs> film and TV series to, to the death but yeah, yeah it's a much 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 marked contrast to that but you know so you have this development and it's based more on the Alan Moore comics you know the killing joke and these sorts of things in the 1980s. So, you know, Batman has gone in a different direction. And this is where franchising gets interesting at this point as well is because you start to have these films that aren't just based on one product. They're based on a particular type of a product. And that's kind of what some people talk about as kind of the array, right? So whereas with Star Wars, right, you have a film and that sort of sparks off in these different directions, but they're still kind of the original texts of the films. Whereas Batman, it's sort of like, well, what is Batman? What is the original Batman text? It doesn't exist. It's just this array of different materials. And this is, you know, one of the things that this 1989 movie sort of sparks off. And we're now seeing the, the huge extrapolation of that with the Marvel era. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, DC joining mm, yeah. uh, many years behind, but um, mm. <laughs> joining the party as well. Yeah. So are you saying there are many kind of Batman comics and yep. different styles of... That's of, right. Of, yeah, of Batman, tale, Batman as a comic book hero had been through many different iterations by the time that this film was made. And there were quite a... Few few different 
styles that could be followed. And so, you know, this film, I mean, Tim Burton has this sort of slightly eccentric style. The, the film itself has many sort of canted camera angles, what, what people in America call Dutch angles, which is wrong because they're meant to be following German expressionists like Nosferatu, like these early German horror films have this real style that, that someone like Tim Burton follows, but um, they're called Dutch angles in in america because they just like i think the idea is they didn't know that dutch is not the same as deutsch but um <laughs> <laughs> like seriously seriously i think okay. that's actually how so the americans are just they're just wrong yeah they're, they're, just named they're, it incorrectly. they're just wrong yeah, yeah. right okay. um <laughs> my apologies to all the american listeners yeah. <laughs> i wish there were quite a few actually yeah. so, for, yeah. for, forgot an e and an s somewhere in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 but uh you know this, this sort of uh yeah this 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 style which is very self-consciously sort of expressionistic uh and it's really really interesting it works really lovely uh, and wonderfully in the, the the completed product, which is quite gothic and, and quite German, which we may may return to in some ways in terms of film history, anyway. But you know, it has um, this '89 film has a bit of a fraught production. The fanboys don't like the announcement of poor old uh, Keaton as 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 Batman. Really, he was, yeah. he's the best. Yeah, it, well, he ends up doing a good job. He does, mm. but at that point in time, he was known as a you know, in comic roles, yeah. essentially. Yep, yep. Um, but, I mean, but he was in Beetlejuice, wasn't he? He was, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But he certainly doesn't have an imposing physical you no. know, presence. No, no. But, you know, it had uh, the, pretty much the biggest promotional campaign at the time and, you know, it was inescapable in 1989. And from there, sort of, you know, uh, every major studio was like, well, how are we going to get the next Batman movie? How are we <laughs> going to make this this next sort of franchise film uh, go forward? And you do it by making Batman Returns. Well, yes. <laughs> Look, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were those four films, really, I suppose, in, uh, in, in the 90s, effectively, Returns, uh, Batman and Robin and Batman Forever. And the latter two in particular are widely derided. Yes. Um, uh, possibly for good reason. Although, look, I will also defend those films. I think they're <laughs> in today's era they've aged really well. Um, I think in comparison to the grim, serious superhero era that we're in at the moment. I do have a soft spot for Jim Carrey's Riddler. Yeah, I actually think that's a great film. That one. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, but uh, you know, so uh, Batman's hugely successful, uh, as you said in your intro, uh, Andrew. It goes on to become one of the highest grossing films of all time. And with it, it's iconic soundtrack. Yeah. When I think of Batman and Batman themes, this is the only theme I think of. I don't... I mean, I love the Dark Knight trilogy, the Nolan films. I think they're brilliant. I even think the the score, the Zimmer score, which we might get mm. to at some point, is also really effective yep. for, for those films. But... I don't remember it. Mm. And, you know, pretty much if you still go to Warner Brothers movie world, you go on the Batman ride, this theme is playing, you know, <laughs> the animated series, it's this theme. Yeah. And so for me, this this is the Batman, you know, this is the Batman theme. Mm. I think it's a great moment actually for us to, to play the Batman theme that I'm talking about. And uh, here it is. So guys, that's the that's what we're talking about, isn't it? Excellent. That's the, yeah, that, that's the one. Because that's all I can think about when someone <laughs> says Batman to me. This is all that comes to my mind. That's got Danny Elfman written all over <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. I think in fact, that's him singing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. almost yeah. certainly. That that's the that's the the sixties TV, the, ne the Neil Hefty. Which I the one thing that I will say about this is that I think it's still hilarious that when um, 
uh, when that that was being recorded, one of the eight singers, there's a chorus of eight singers, jokingly wrote on his part because the, the the theme is written by Neil Hefty, and he wrote "Word and Music" by Neil Hefty, not words, <laughs> just word and music. <laughs> there you go. Uh, that's great. Okay, let's actually hear the real theme. Nick, have you got got something lined up for us? Excellent. Let's hear it. This is the uh, the main title theme from Batman. You didn't let it. You didn't I'm, let it gallop I'm, away. I'm robbing everyone of the uh, of, of the rest of it, but for, for for good reason. Yes. And one of them, one of those reasons is because the build up of this particular theme is, I think, says a lot about how Elfman develops his theme throughout the throughout the film. It's very simple construct. It's basically four, five, six notes, depending how he kind of treats it. And the Batman theme is incredibly simple. And one of the miraculous things about it is that its simplicity means it can be used in so many different ways. And as you can hear there, basically Elfman has built an entire climax and build out of just sort of superimposing and layering these sort of four or five notes. And if we look at it very briefly, you know, Elfman loves minor keys. For example, this is, this is B minor. And it's, it's a upwards motion. Okay, and that's that's basically the main part of the melody. Every so often, we get the resolution of that sixth note. And to me, this is the most crucial element of this theme because without it, we're still really kind of stuck in this minor key of, of B in this case. Okay, but when we get that last sixth note, oh, we get another chord, which is major. And very simple, minor to major, but instantly there in that little package of six notes, we are feeling this duality, which really runs through the entire, I guess, film, you know, Bruce Wayne versus Batman, uh, good versus evil, dark versus light. They're all there contained in sort of the underlying harmonic thing of this, of this theme. Um, and so, so nice little tension at the top. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it, it goes up that minor scale. And then that, um, so we're going up a nice little minor scale there. And then, it really wants to fall. It wants to fall up the top there. And in some ways, that that fourth note to the fifth note there, that fall, to me is sort of Batman. Mm. That's Batman in this film. It's that, and then like you said, and then the the good part. But but we often often don't get it throughout the film. It's it's denied many times. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, that payoff only comes in certain certain spots, and certainly in that build-up, we we finally get it, and it's great. Mm. And even just from a harmony point of view, I think the reason that fifth note, fourth note, sorry, wants to fall is because in a B minor chord, you know, if the theme was, ugh, it's not kind of good, yep. but it kind of falls up or rises up to that kind of tension note. 
and then kind of relaxes into it. Yeah. So it's just tension bit. and release. Yeah, and then, absolutely. Yeah. Now, the reason I stopped the theme before we kind of get into the main march is because Elfman was heavily inspired, especially in this open, by the music of Herman. There's also been rumors that Elfman wrote this. Have you heard about this? He wrote it, the theme on a, in the toilet. <laughs> well, uh, I'll, not quite in the toilet. He was on a flight and oh, he yes, just had a meeting with, I think, some studio executives and he had even been to the set. And on the way home back to LA, because I think it was shot part of it in London, he was so inspired that uh, he kept kind of running to the bathroom on this flight and kind of singing bits of the melody and stuff and, and horns and harp and some bits uh, into a little dictaphone. Remember those things? Um, <laughs> they're, they're called iPhones now. They're called iPhones. the same joke. That's terrible. <laughs> and apparently the flight attendants were like, are you okay, Mr. Elfman? We spent um, too much time together, Dan. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> and then got back to his studio in LA and kind of pieced it all together. Uh, but I digress. <laughs> the, the opening is very reminiscent of Herman's music to Journey to the Center of the Earth from a few years, well, a few decades earlier. And I'm going to play it now. And you really hear not only melodically our similarities, but just in the way this piece builds to a crescendo and some of the instrumentation effects. Have a listen. So, who does Danny Elfman owe money to now? <laughs> wow, that's really it's pretty close. It's really it? similar. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great though. I mean, it's very Herman. Yeah, it is. Mm, and yeah. look, it, you know, me and me and Dan were talking off camera. Oh, sorry, <laughs> off air. Yeah. Um, earlier about this score and how really, if there's any composer that has been uh, regarded as a descendant of Herman, it would have to be Elfman. You know, in his stylistic, I guess, darkness and sort of off kilter music that always sort of gets under your skin Elfman mm. really has nailed that as, as a composer so mm. uh, and he would be the first to say and has been on the record as saying he's heavily influenced by Herman and particularly in, in this score and you can hear it there he's um, the Bernard Herman if uh, Herman had a sense of humour yeah. yeah well exactly yes. <laughs> uh, I mean yeah look I think I think Herman I mean we discussed him in depth uh, in the Vertigo episode but I think he you know is probably one of the most influential composers for today's crop as well I oh, mean sure. uh, I think the way that uh, Zimmer in particular emphasizes sort of texture and mood and rhythm over melody or harmony is, you know, Herman is the pioneer of that as well. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, it's it's no coincidence that Elfman is also uh, another cog on that little <laughs> lineage. Yep. All right. So now that we've got that out of the way, let's go on with how Elfman then develops this theme in the rest of his main title, because it really kicks into gear after this.
Nick, I just realised why he's called the Dark Knight. Because he's quite obviously riding a horse at the beginning of that. Mm. Yeah, it's galloping music. I, I was, were you watching me? Because I was totally doing this in my seat. <laughs> I didn't know what you were doing over there. But, uh, <laughs> you, you, can't okay, you, you, you were riding a horse. I was riding, riding a horse, yeah, yeah. I was, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and look, uh, the, the theme is, the way it's constructed here, it's very different to what John Williams does with his melodies, where it really it has like a clear beginning and an end and, and a sort of, you know, a progression along the way. Here, Elfman's theme, it's just sort of, being passed around the orchestra strings violins tubers cellos like they all get a, a sort of a go at this sort of four five or six note motif however it happens and one of the things i noticed then especially is that uh, harmonically it just it goes down and down and down and it's almost like batman sort of you know has appeared after that big build he's grabbed us and he's pulling us down into his lair and just i mean have a listen harmonically it starts in b minor dun, diddle, dun, horse riding down, down a key into A minor. Down a step again. Down another step. So it's really this sort of just, it's kind of a clunky. You know, yeah. if I just, just take the outline of the, of the chords there, we don't sort of notice because there's all lots of swirling and percussion and brass and flutes and stuff uh, going about the shop. But yeah. it, sort of, it, it helps to feel, you know, to fill the listener with sort of that sense of dread that there's something, yeah. like you said, being pulled down. But because of that march, in so many, you know, superhero action films, the march is the hero, you know. It's the, mm. the guy, you know, from Indiana Jones. It's that march of, of the, you know, the, the triumphant hero. But this one we have a, well, it's a dark hero. I mean, it's, it's perfect. It's perfect for It, it for is. Batman. I think yeah. for, for those reasons you're saying, yeah, yeah, the march is propulsive and it, mm. it says action and excitement and everything mm. we are expecting from this film. But yeah, the the minor chords and and the sort of the the taking us down the into the steps of his cave via the harmony, uh, really is significant of of what he's trying to say and do with the character. I'm going to admit something to you guys. So it it wasn't in the lead up to this. I will also um, just throw out there. But not that long ago, I only just realised that those first two themes. So you, you played that first one really slow, and then the second one where it comes in, but da da da, they're the same notes. Yeah, <laughs> do you know that hadn't yep, occurred yeah. to me for a long time? Like I, mm. I thought, oh, they're two themes, you know, da 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 da. <laughs> yeah, okay, and then da 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 da. Yep, cool. But <laughs> right. no, it's just those same notes played really fast. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yep, <laughs> and and, and I mean that's why I was saying at the outset this theme is so simple, but it allows itself to be drawn yeah. out and brooding, or just a few other examples here. You know, it can be, um, you know, sort of. Menacing, as in we we get when Batman sort of first makes his appearance in the in the film. You know, that's really yeah, kind nice. of it's 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 gothic, almost mm. terror in some ways. It's it's quite frightening, if it weren't for the fact that we know he's the the hero. Yeah, you know, he's kind of scary, imposing. So I, I think in that shot as well, we we first see Batman via a shadow as well, which which gets into that you know that that influence of German expressionism as well. Like I don't know if either of you have seen Nosferatu, but there's beautiful, yes. yeah, yep. beautiful sequences with shadows in that film as well. Where I mean, he's the villain in that film, but in this film, Batman's the hero, but presents it in visually very similar ways. Wait, yeah, <clears throat> um, we've also got quite a you know Elfman treats it 
uh, in a different rhythm again, uh, Andrew, you sort of saying how you didn't recognize it as the same theme. Uh, there's a bit later in the film where he's in the Batmobile where it's kind of, it's quite bombastic, but also a bit groovy. Ha- ha- have a listen. Is that uh, Batman's Macarena moment? <laughs> it's a bit of that, isn't it? Have either of you seen the, the famous episode of the 60s TV series where he dances, the, the Batootsie? Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's just brilliant. If you can haven't we, can, seen can we put a link to that in the show? Yeah, yeah, we I, should. I want to go it's and Google just, that. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's one of my favorite scenes of anything ever. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of groovy there. And another great use is in the... It's that great sort of early on in the film where we get the, the shootout at the Axis chemical plant, mm. uh, the one that ends with the Joker falling into the pit of tar or mud. What does he fall into? Oh, it's chemicals. Chemicals, sorry. yeah. Chemicals, yeah. 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 Burns What's great about this cue, aside from it's sort of got this really funky syncopated sort of 6-8 meter that to me sounds like a factory production line, just kind of dun, 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 dun. You'll hear it in a second. But when Elfman brings in the title theme, have a listen because it kind of, it's almost like it's in a mixed meter. The theme is definitely not in 6-8 and it kind of like plays against the underlying rhythm and it's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. You know, and just when your foot gets into the groove of like one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, da, 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 da. Mm. it's sort of like it's got a bit of a swagger three, four against six, eight. If you're not hugely musical, uh, they actually add up to the same equivalent length. But the way there, one is one and two and three and one and two and three and, and the other one is one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six. So kind of uh, smishing them together creates this cool, uh, yeah, just, just a cool kind of feel. Yeah, it's really nice. I was I was just thinking with the so many times when this this melody comes in, you got the da 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 da, and before that melody is finished, some other instrument is taking it up. Mm. So it's often followed really quickly by someone else before you know. It's never really stated by itself yeah, at it's any a, point. It's like a cannon or something. Yeah, yeah, and I I wondered whether you know even just listening to it again with the the headphones on now, that it really does conjure up that idea of Batman being 
well, I guess mysterious in one way, but I always think of his cape. Like, mm. you know, when he's coming in the shadow and the cape sort of flaps out and it's like, where is he? Is he up there? You know, he's there and you don't quite know where he is. It's like, it's like musical confusion. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. And it's almost like he's, you know, musically, he's, he's throwing himself around. You don't quite know where he's coming from. Mm. And I think that, you know, once again, that use of that yeah. theme, because, you know, like you think about any of those other great hero themes, they're, they're singular. Mm. You know, the melody comes out. Yeah, it might be shared around other instruments, but they don't play over the top of each other the whole time. But and, this is... And, Always. And, they're, and they're usually like in Superman, it's like the hero, there he is, he's here, Superman is here, you know, yeah. da, da, da. whereas this, it's sort of like, Batman's never like there, he's yeah, always yeah. like, he's a bit there, he's a bit there, yeah, yeah. it's very sinewy. Definitely. Yeah. And Definitely. it really plays into that whole idea of in the shadows, I don't know where he is, that whole mindset of the, you know, all the bad guys in the streets, just, mm. you know, freaking out, looking everywhere, not yep. knowing where he's going to come from. And I think that, you know, always when that theme comes in, it gives you that impression. Yeah. Yeah, it's really clever. Well, I mean, I think as well, uh, as part of that, I mean, it's worth thinking about how this film works uh, musically, but also narratively, and that it's not actually about Batman, despite being called Batman. It's the, as you just said, the origin story, it's the the narrative arc is about the Joker. Well, it tells you, you know, it shows how the Joker is created and it shows how he's defeated. And, you know, it goes through that process, whereas Batman is already doing his bat thing at the start of the film. And, you know, he doesn't really change over the course of it. And, you know, it took until Batman Begins um, for there to actually be a film that was An origin story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Which is unusual today in that every... I never thought about that. Mm. I mean, we get that little look at sort of the dream about his parents' death, but it's still... Mm. We're still none the wiser, really, Mm. apart from... And and that is why as well. I mean, if... uh, and, And I'll just talk really briefly about this this themes context within other Batman music as well is that if you think about the way that um, for Hans Zimmer um, the Dark Knight trilogy he's always talked about his Batman musically missing something and that is one of the reasons why it's such a minimalist theme because Batman never really fully becomes Batman until you know sort of partway through probably the second film but uh, and certainly not in the first film but you know uh, I think here we get this fully complete this is what Batman is with that music and that sort of acts as kind of the icon of Batman. And I'm actually, um, funnily enough, for this, this is perfect timing because at the moment I'm writing a chapter for a book, uh, an academic book, but um, it's it's called The Superhero Symbol and I'm the, the single chapter on music. And my argument is that superheroes have musical symbols in the same way as we have the bat signal that calls Batman and is iconographic of him. And, you know, Superman has his S on the chest, although it's not an S, I know, you know, anyway. (laughs) Um, uh, But, you know, that these these musical themes act as icons for these superheroes. And certainly you get that with this film more than any others, I think. But it's worth taking a moment, I think, to, to listen to where Batman came from musically. And so you had a few sort of serials that were in the, in the past, in the 1940s in particular. My favorite early one of these is the Batman and Robin serial from 1949, where you had, um, you know, th- these, are, these are, you know, sort of short ongoing sort of uh, films that would be played before a main feature. And this had a theme composed by Misha, uh, I'll get his surname right, Misha Bakelenikov. Bakelenikov? Misha Bakelenikov. Yes, correct. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. I, I used to be a tennis commentator, so I'm <laughs> oh, okay, very used okay. to these names. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> Perfect. So before, this- before I ran the uh, the Gotham Balloon Parade. Right. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm, rubbing your, I'm rubbing another man's rhubarb here. Yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, So this is 1949, uh, and this is where I think you start to first hear the sort of Batman sound coming together. Mm. 
And so, I mean, I think that's quite interesting because the previous Batman serials had sort of used generic heroic major key pieces. And that one, you get much more of a clearer sense that, oh, actually, maybe there's something a little bit darker yeah, about this Yeah, it's a bit, bit more sinister and mi- minor. Yeah, you. yeah, absolutely. And, you know, then, of course, we get the, the TV series, which we've already heard, which um, perhaps I'm sure everybody is, is well familiar with at this point, the sort of surf rock. I still think we could have done a whole episode on that. Yeah, theme well, <laughs> I, look, yeah, absolutely. As I said, I will defend that series. I think a lot of people think of it as this sort of like twee, naive thing but i mean it was totally so i used to watch it religiously so. yeah 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 absolutely like it knows what it's doing it's <laughs> like you you think you're laughing at it today but you are laughing with it i guarantee you and you know then you know as it develops um we later get you know the uh of course post post uh the uh elfman version we start to get elliot goldenthal um which you know i can play a little bit of uh, very briefly And I mean, you know, I think that to me, it's nice. I like it, but it's imitating Elfman really without being directly Elfman. I- yeah, it, it, look, it, it holds its own, but it's it does feel like it's in the shadow of Elfman. So yeah, I, I agree with you there. It, it is a great theme, but it's it's not as unique in the canon as Elfman's is. Yeah, given its point in time. And and certainly, um, uh, you know, at the same time, you also have the animated TV series, which is using the Elfman theme. I mean, it's being being arranged, uh, you know, and used in very different ways. But it is the Elfman theme, which becomes the Bat theme. And then, of course, you enter into the Zimmer era, uh, which I'll just play a brief excerpt of. that's it it's two notes yep uh and it's you know i mean it's continuing this sort of the the i guess the language that's been set by previous batman themes and it's a minor key it's tracing out part of a minor triad it's you know the 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 first two notes of a of a minor chord and it's the first and third note of the elfman theme exactly yeah you could fit it in there it is And that second chord, I mean, I, I've actually done this in a, in a video essay, but that second chord, um, if you were to play that, just play that again. I played the same chord in there. Yeah, no, what, no. Yeah, that chord. Yeah. If you put that underneath the... Uh, uh, yeah, I see what you mean, yeah. Yeah, and that's the, that's the Elfman. Yeah, I mean, yeah. sorry, the Zimmer theme. So in some ways, I guess you could say Zimmer's theme is just like taking the very essential mm. components you know, it outlines a minor third, which sets a minor kind of vibe to the thing, mm. and really, yeah, highlights those two chords. Two chords, yeah. yeah. And then oh, the only well done, other, Hans. the only <laughs> other thing that I would say, I think, is that really, I mean, if you're talking about the origins of Batman, I mean, we've already talked about how the film itself is kind of German expressionist. I mean, I would say that really, I mean, if you're looking at a musical ancestor, you could sort of look, you know, uh, to worse places than uh, than this. 
which is, of course, the Siegfried theme from Wagner's... From Wagner, yeah. Ring Cycle. That's right. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of just like the first couple of notes rearranged and... Hmm. That, that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I think, uh, yeah, there, there's something to that. But so, I mean, it's it, yeah, I would say definitely in terms of the Batman themes, this is king. Mm. Yep. But, you know, there's some interesting, um, you know, forebears and, and uh, progeny. <laughs> All right, let's let's move on. There are a few other, I mean, apart from the Batman theme, there are a few other themes and little motifs that come through the score. I want to talk about, I guess we'd call it the love theme, which is very slight. And the reason I say it's slight is because it's it's really hard to kind of nail down as a theme. But what it is, is actually a bit of music that Elfman kind of borrowed from Prince. And Prince, as many people know, um, had his own soundtrack album for Batman and was actually engaged to write quite a few songs for the film, some of which were used, some some weren't. But one of his songs was a track called Scandalous. And I'll play a bit of it now going straight into the Elfman and you really hear this sort of melodic line that Prince introduces at the beginning being taken up by Elfman but in a much uh, less 80s pop way, shall we say. Um, something I actually just noticed right then is that even though Elfman took this from Prince, it actually feels like a, yeah. a safe kind of love, a beautiful version of the Batman mm. theme and its outline. You know, and yeah, if you take same, same construction. I never ever picked up on that. There yeah, you, there you go. So maybe, maybe. Oh, that's pretty freaky. That two people engaged to write music for a film somehow end up with the same yeah kind of phrase. Do you think that maybe the reason because all of other you know all the rest of Prince's music is used in the movie like diegetically, which we're going to talk about a little later. But do you think that maybe Elfman heard the album, heard the songs that were made, and were like. Actually, that works for my theme for what I've been doing. That that um, motif that Prince wrote, maybe what? and it then works. Went, went away and built his main Batman theme. No, 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 no. He already had the Batman theme, yeah. so that's already a thing. And then he hears that from Prince's album and is like, actually, that might work for really, mine. Really well with mine because because yeah. it's the only time that he takes something from the album and puts it into the soundtrack as opposed to a, yeah. a piece that um, appears in the film. So yeah. I, I mean, I know nothing about that discussion, and I, I'd I'd love to have been a fly on the wall to hear 
I, I highly doubt they would have had Burton, Elfman, and Prince in a room talking about the music. I think it all would no, have come through certainly. managers and agents and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. certainly Elfman at this point like didn't have anywhere near the sort of celebrity that he had even just after this film. I yeah. mean, you know, he's not going to sort of hang out with Prince probably. No, I, I don't think. I mean, he. I don't think anyone hung out with. Prince. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> fair. Yeah, fair point. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that, that, no, that that's a really interesting observation, and uh, you know, quickly just to talk about it, you could say that it's a very sort of unresolved kind of theme and just a little motif and that could either point to the fact that Bruce and Vicky themselves never really their relationship's kind of tormented from the start we kind of know it's never really going to work out and we're sort of left hanging in the end about what actually the state of that relationship ends up being and it could be you know these major seventh chords you know them themselves are sort of slightly softer but sort of un unsettled chords in, in their own kind of romantic way yeah. who knows but uh, yeah just a little a little thought there mm. speaking about Vicky we should go on to talk about another great bit of music in the film which Elfman borrowed not just from Prince and that is for the 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 song called Beautiful Dreamer Beautiful Dreamer was a song written by Stephen Foster uh, it's a parlour song written in about 1862 what's a parlour song Andrew God, um, I mean, <laughs> parlor songs were 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 songs that were written for the you know I guess the small stage and yeah. you know often they were sort of piano and one singer and they were sort of light entertainment and things that you would go to the you know the the local uh, small theatre people would be drinking getting rowdy hearing these sorts of songs. I don't have a, a textbook definition, Dan. <laughs> I feel like you would be the man who would have a textbook well, definition. Uh, well, I mean, that, you know, it's just it, these early popular music you know this is yeah. before any sort of musical recording right so you can't distribute things via records often these are distributed via sheet music yeah and they're you know people who are you know have homes with pianos in them and they'll you know have parties and people will share the latest you know hit sort of tune and they, they sort of they the popularity waned in the 20th century as recording came into 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 practice but i mean a, a lot of af for, for australian Australian listeners, a lot of AFL theme so theme songs are adapted from these <laughs> parlor are. songs. Oh yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah nice so that that's where you would know them mostly from today. So look, let's have a listen to "Beautiful Dreamer" as originally kind of performed back in the day. So it's very simple construction: singer with roll, roll, rolling and rollicking piano accompaniment. are waiting for thee Sounds of the rude world Heard in the day Lulled by the moonlight Have all passed away Beautiful. Now, Elfman takes this theme and he uses it for not a huge amount in the film but the the key point is when the joker is sort of editing his photos and cutting them up for his little zany magazine and newspaper cuttings that he does and he comes across a photo of vicky vale you know drop dead gorgeous kim bassinger in the day and you know stop the press who's that kind of exclamation <laughs> and elfman just sort of swells up the orchestra and we get this this beautiful orchestra performance of it and 
how they chose it, I don't know, but it sort of it, it really works with the Joker's sort of. We never kind of expect what what he's going to do. He's very unpredictable, and he goes from this sort of mob, you know dark moody gangster to this really outlandish character and as we'll find out further in this podcast Elfman really gives him a real collection of zany and interesting music so here's what Elfman does does with Beautiful Dreamer So speaking of the Joker, let's let's get to some of his music. And Elfman does give him stuff, doesn't he, boys? <laughs> well, boy, boy, does he give him music, indeed. Really, Jack, who he's, you know, I was just thinking about this the other day in the car that we get three Jacks. We get Jack Nicholson, the actor, Jack Palance, who he plays opposite, mm. and then Jack Nicholson's character is also called Jack. <laughs> yeah. So can you imagine the filming? All right, Jack, look this way. Yeah. They're <laughs> <laughs> kind of staring blankly. Yeah. But we first. When we first basically see the Joker after he's been kind of doused in chemicals and had his little treatment at that kind of dodgy little surgeon in the basement, comes back to see Eckhart, who's played by Jack Palance, um, and he reveals reveals his face out of the shadow and it's all white and then proceeds to joyously riddle <laughs> Jack Palance with bullets, accompanied, of all things, by this. <laughs> And all of the actually with that that theme and the and the previous example, the use of the Celeste mm. is yeah. always there. And you know, in a lot of other films, Celeste is often used to sort of mean something innocent, like a child's music box. Or it, in Harry Potter, it can be used as sort of the magic on things. But in this particular movie and a lot of other horror genre films, the Celeste is used as sort of a real juxtaposition of here's mm. something really innocent and really pure juxtaposed with someone really dangerous and unpredictable, and it makes it even more sinister. Mm. It's like yeah. there's nothing more scary in a horror film than little kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this is sort of the musical version of that. Yeah, and you, you could say that the, when Jack Nicholson turns into the Joker in this film – like he kind of behaves a bit like a kid. He's quite kind of oh, childish totally. in some ways and um, his emotions are really over the top. So I think it's perfect perfect for that for that kind of reason. Mm. Um, and also the, the crazy waltz. I mean, mm. look at him. He's got a white face. He's got <laughs> heavy makeup. Mm. Instantly, you just think of a circus clown. So it Absolutely. really is, you know, the circus freak come to town kind mm. of aspect. Yeah, and I mean, I wonder about this. I mean, I have issues with this scene, which maybe we'll talk about after we talk about how it develops if we're going to do that. But I mean, it, it, one of the questions I have for you is, do you, I mean, do you think that this is 
presented sarcastically or straight faced? Because I, I mean, I think with the with the beautiful dreamer music, it's presented sort of ironically, like this sort of you know sweet romantic theme, and we're sort of meant to see it as a bit sarcastic. But with this, it's sort of like it's just nuts. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it was done with. I think it's well scored. I think it's mm. a conscious decision either by Elfman or both in collaboration with Burton to mm. sort of make it this, yeah, nuts mm. waltz. And the juxtaposition, juxtaposition I think, works really well. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't think it's it's the same as the Beautiful Dreamer thing mm. at all. I think it's saying that this guy's out of control. Mm. And a circus on some level, when you see a circus, you see circus clowns, mm. they are almost always slightly out of control. Mm. Like they might be doing some amazing trick or juggling or something and they're sort of in control, but it's this organised chaos mm. happening and, and that's really him. He's he's chaos ready to, you know, explode, but never does. And and the waltz also sort of makes it feel really bizarre because, you know, he's just done a terrible thing and then there's dance music, mm. you know. Which, once again, I think just makes it feel even more terrifying than, mm. than had you done a really sinister sort of cue on that, on that one. Well, so. it begs the question, Ange, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moon? Wow, very nice. <laughs> very nice. Now, we did it. We, we did, did it. it. Very, <laughs> now, now, sort of, I guess, part two of this theme is building on for that sort of Celeste music box type thing is, I guess, the B theme of this Joker's macabre waltz, which we hear a few times throughout the film and, it, and especially at the end when he's, he's sort of laying dead and we get that kind of children's toy. <laughs> this little music box thing rings out. But there's a bit where he reads a poem and it sort of goes a bit like this. A lovely little bit of development there, actually. Yeah, it's, yeah. And you know, um, I hear strains of Edward Scissorhands with the use of the violin mm. there. It's a bit kind of, uh, again, this sort of sideshow gypsy. You know, mm. you've got tuba, Celeste or, or Glockenspiel, and solo violin. I mean, it's not exactly the gorgeous Mendelssohn piano trio <laughs> we've got here. You know, they're really unusual mm. instrument combinations, but they they just work in a sort of yeah creepy bizarre mm. children's i mean it's it re- very silly as well reminds me the the sort of the the celeste and the xylophone sound there um reminds me a little bit of uh the, the how the music box is used to uh, denote the villain in um for a few dollars more as well it always yeah. sort of mm. turns up when and he was does. that was there a child involved in that sort of no it was his oh gosh, like a memory i haven't seen of, it for a while it is a memory it's it's a, a of his music youth. exactly yeah. yes exactly yeah and that's where i think i was just going to say that's where i think and I've only just come up with this as we've we've been talking about it now. That, uh, or I'm going to pr- uh, propose this to you guys, that perhaps for that reason, is the Joker not as successful as he could be? Like if we if we think about the Penguin in the Batman Returns, we find out that he has this sort of tragic childhood in the same way that Bruce Wayne has a tragic childhood. So there's there's sort of two sides of the same coin. One guy goes in to sort of be a superhero, the other guy goes to be a villain. With the Joker, they keep on referencing this sort of childlike sort of memory thing, but we never find out that he had a bad childhood. He's just a bit of a bad guy, you know, and then the only bad thing that really happened to him, he's killing all these people, the only bad thing that happened to him is that he fell into the vat of, of, um, <laughs> of acid. And so in some ways that, that Celeste 
sort of pro- you know suggests a story that is sort of not there. And I wonder yeah. does that does that weaken well, his character or does it? Oh. As well as a physical change, like mm. emotionally and behaviorally, he's a completely different person. I mean, mm. acid doesn't change. I mean, <laughs> unless you're smoking it, um, <laughs> doesn't um, doesn't have that effect on the body. You know. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think probably they, they for filmmaking purposes, they were right not to give him too deep a backstory. In the yep. same same in the same way that I mean, the the Dark Knight trilogy, we, or, or a lot of the villains do have traumatic histories especially mm. in dark knight rises but the joker i think is very wisely like we don't know anything about him his backstory constantly shifts and that's what makes him a lot more frightening mm. and i think the same applies for jack nicholson's joker as well is that probably it, it is a bit of an origin story as i said for him uh, uh, before but uh you know the less we know about him actually the the scarier it allows yeah. him to be yeah right and this this waltz gets its premiere feature in the film in the great kind of scene at the end of the top of the cathedral where Mm. Jack Nicholson and Kim Bassinger have this kind of waltz to the death and uh, really this is where Elfman develops this circus-like theme more and it's almost it sounds like a a Tchaikovsky beautiful waltz in a ballet kind of gone gone to the circus it's Tchaikovsky (laughs) at the circus And what's great in that scene is that you got Vicky and the Joker dancing juxtaposed with Batman and that great thug in the sunglasses mm. kind of biffing it out but sort of behind them. <laughs> so it really works as like this sort of this dance at the same time as a like mm. pretty intense scene where Batman gets the, the heck beaten out of him. So, I mean, with this cue in particular, with the, the waltz to the death in, in the way that it's, it's really developed there, I mean, so this, this to me is incredibly frustrating and also admirable because every time I hear this I feel like it's a direct ripoff of something else but I don't think it is but I you know today I spent hours <laughs> going through waltzes just being like I've heard it somewhere before yeah you're right I know yeah. like it's 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 there somewhere. I think that's a sign Dan that Elfman is a master composer and yeah. he's written something that just feels so well, at home in the repertoire uh, yeah exactly I mean you know like I, I went through uh, Sleeping Beauty right <laughs> And so, you know, the melody there, I feel, is like sort of getting close, um, but, you know, not quite. I even went to My Fair Lady, uh, the Embassy Waltz, which is like (laughs) diegetic music that they have in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
it's you know it's sort of yeah you know, it's yeah. And, uh, you know then as well um to my particular favorite uh waltz composer and probably my favorite waltz is the Cacciaturian from masquerade oh, yeah. yep That has that sort of unbalanced, sort of mm. dark feeling to it. It's a waltz in a minor key, and 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 you know, it's it's somewhere between all of those three, <laughs> and that's as close as I could get. I reckon after. the Sleepy Beauty comes the closest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it is. Mm. I think especially because like the first few notes are the same. Um, mm. You know. Um, you know, that's the first one, Sleeping Beauty, the second one's the the Elfman. But yeah, m- maybe beyond that, who knows? Mm. I mean, look, there's only so many ways you can skin a cat. All well, waltzes have the um cha 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 So it, they're all going to feel... It is true. I mean, I, I mean, and that's why I think it's something that is quite frustrating, but also I've really got to give it to him, that you give credit to him. Um, I like to give it to him as well for this frustrating, you know. But but this, you know, that it, it is convincingly familiar while not actually being a ripoff of anything. Yeah. And, and that that's a very hard line to walk. You forgot um papa from Oliver. Oh well, okay. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe no. that's it now. Anyway, uh, let's let's move on from the Joker's music to just a very brief look at some of his henchmen. Um, who don't get their own theme, but I want to mention it because really Elfman has some great little instrumentation techniques he uses through this film. And one of them is the use of the piano, specifically low kind of rhythmic percussive piano. And it's really mixed well and, and front and center in, in the soundtrack. And here's a bit of the clown attack music. I mean, that, that to me is interesting because that's that brief little moment, maybe a decade in film music, where piano was really this sort of suspense instrument. Low piano, that's sort mm. of staccato stuff. I mean, you get that a lot in, in a lot of the action movies of that yeah, era yeah. as well. And it, it passed very quickly. But certainly when I was growing up, it's sort of, you know, if you played staccato on the piano, it didn't really matter what key or, you know, you just hit random notes, you know, staccato. Try it out, Nick. Try go, it out. Go for it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's nineties suspense music. Let's go get him, Jules. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got the cash yet? <laughs> but that you know that passed very quickly. So mm-hmm. it's interesting that that. I mean, maybe I think this is one of the first films that does that technique. And just another little bit where they're at the gallery, and Batman comes to the rescue. And the scene prize where all the henchmen have been like spray painting and defacing all these uh, all these masterworks in the art gallery. And Elfman in the action music could have underscoring this chase between Batman and the henchmen. He actually uses um, an air, like a, a spray paint can as part of the orchestra to create this sort of clacking, almost like a, sh- a rhythmic shaker. Check it out. It's really cool. cool.
I love that so much. Yeah. I've never he- I didn't hear that the the first time. It's kind of cool, isn't it's it? It's sort of like the the ball, well, it's not a ball bearing, but it's like a the little mm. ball it's inside a the little can. Steel ball. Yeah, 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 yeah. Around. Excellent cool. excellent use of, you know, appropriate percussion. I think my only other favorite example and I'll bring it up now cuz we'll never never discuss this score, but in uh, I think it's The Living Daylights, Michael Carmen uh, digitally choose, tunes some gun You mean license, license to kill? License yep. to kill, sorry. <laughs> Digitally tunes some gun ricochets really? to, to the dun 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 dun. Yeah, it's um, awesome, ridiculous, but fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure one. I'm sure the spray paint was a uh, a, a tax write off for Elfman as well. His his weekly trip to the convenience store, the, road, the hardware store. And finally, I guess talking about themes, the last thing really I can identify in this score is a little. I guess we call it the the fate motif, and it occurs anytime the Joker is basically hanging on for his life. <laughs> when we first hear it, just before he drops into that that uh, that pool of uh, chemicals in the Axis plant at the start, and it's really this great lingering sort of tension chord that then resolves, and you really feel him kind of hanging on for his life. I haven't heard that in a while and my jaw kind of dropped while I was listening to it. I mean, that to me, that's that's vertigo. It's totally vertigo. Yeah. that. I mean, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that later. It's one of the big bones I have to pick with this <laughs> score. But, but that, that, that um, I mean, that to me is, is one of those big smash zooms at, at the start of vertigo. Yeah, it yeah. feels a bit like it, doesn't it? Yeah. And that, that sort of lingering uh, or sort of falling note, which we also get a bit in the main melody, Elfman uses it again in this great, one of my favorite moments in the score, you know, huge French horn, a big horny moment um, just before they climb up the cathedral and you'll hear it here. I think Burton and Elfman must have watched Vertigo before yeah. they, they made this film because not only is that music happening, the entire scene mm. is the end of Vertigo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they're is going it? up the staircase. Mm-hmm. Dragging a woman up a staircase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Absolutely. they even look down the staircase. Yeah. They even look down the middle and I was expecting that, that, that smash, smash zoom yeah. to happen. It doesn't happen, <laughs> but my Lord, that's about the only thing that doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. And even even to the point where, you know, at the end of Vertigo when the, when the nun appears mm. as... Batman. <laughs> yeah. Out of the shadows. <laughs> right, right. And, and Batman appears in this one. Yep. Yeah, wow. And ends yeah. with 
somebody falling off the cathedral. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm. that's it's a great uh, movie, Vertigo. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's kind of its genius, and this has always been the interesting thing about Batman going through decades. Is uh, it, it is kind of a he is kind of a figure that allows people to move between high art and low art contexts really yep. well. I mean, you had you know the sort of Roy Lichtenstein, Andy Warhol influence on the 1960s TV series, and this you know is also bringing the Vertigo into this you know super popular blockbuster context. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure that's deliberate. I don't think we've discovered any sort of accidental subconscious thing that they've done here. No, I think there's even some interviews where mm. Elfman has sort of fessed up to it. I mean, I don't think he he's tried to really hide that direct influence on some of this stuff here. Mm. So, yeah, it's cool, though. I like it. Uh, so, I thought that, that I, if you guys would allow me, I always like to take some little right-hand turns in these, these episodes, and I thought it might be cool to check out some of the diegetic music, uh, diegetic being the music that appears from within the film. So, no more so, really, than, than the Prince soundtrack. It's all throughout the film, but it's never played as, uh, you know, as a score. It's played from within the film, often by the Joker's henchmen who are carrying around a, a 1980s boombox. Oh, I love that. And, so cool, um, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> they made like, it cool with their leather jackets. And yeah, everything. yeah. And I love the fact that he's got henchmen who come who, who just walk around with him playing his own soundtrack. Yeah. I thought we'd, we'd look at a little bit of the, the some of the Prince music and also some of the other little tidbits that happen throughout this film that maybe you uh, blinked and missed them. It might be fun to, to look into it a little further. But when the film opens, the first scene we, uh, we see is it's Gotham. It sort of looks pretty chaotic. It looks like there's a lot of sort of, you know, layabouts and, you know, semi-homeless people and lots of crime going on. And just in the background, you hear Prince's The Future coming from one of those stereos that are just on the ground somewhere. So it's it's sort of typical Prince, super funky. I love Prince, mm. by the way. Yeah, um, yeah. I just think it's such a strange choice for this film. Uh, but they <laughs> they get away with it by, like I said, putting it into the into the into Gotham itself. Mm. And I thought it was interesting some of the lyrics that have been written on this. Um, he was just about to sing it, but it's uh, systematic overthrow of the underclass. Hollywood conjures images of the past. New world needs spiritually that will last. So. It sort of feels like the, the talking about Gotham itself. It's mm. the, you know, the fact that the, you know, there is very much this underclass going on there. There's obviously a very rich quarter, but they don't seem like it's very large. And then there's a large gap. There's no middle class in Gotham, as far mm. as I can tell. There's no suburbs. Mm. Um, it's, it's pretty much uh, crime and people on the streets and then really rich people. And I think those sort of little lyrics there from, from Prince are sort of really interesting. And just later on, it, he, he goes on to say, it's just that I've seen the future and boy, it's rough. <laughs> and the way that they open the film with that, I think, is, is sort of really cool. It's really in the background, though. But I thought it was interesting that, that even the, the lyrics there have worked. But later in the film, uh, there's that great scene where Jack Nicholson, um, the Joker, is pretty much talking down all of the thugs in the room. And he goes up to shake the hand of one of the leaders. And it's this buzzer that ends up electrocuting him. And he ends up singing in a really sort of maniacal way. It's a hot time in the old town tonight. 
and he sort of sings it without much melody. He sort of just references it. But I thought it might be uh, cool to actually hear uh, that particular scene. So, so this is this is is that the one where he's like, "It's a hard time, the old time tonight." It is, and I've got it just here. Or something like that. Oh, I got a live one here. (laughs) Oh, there'll be a hot time in the old town tonight. (laughs) So it turns out that that's an actual song. And I'm I'm fairly confident that, maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like that's Jack Nicholson just... Improvising, um, improvising yeah. throughout that. Uh, but anyway, it's a, it's a really old tune. And here's the original, if I might play it for you right now. When you hear all the bells go tingling, all join round and sweetly you must sing. And when the verse is through, in the chorus all join in, there'll be a hot time in the old town tonight. My baby, please, oh please. Do not let me fall. <laughs> so there we go. It's, it sounds like nothing that Jack Nicholson sung. No, I wonder if he even listened to that song. We yeah. just, just just pick up some lyrics from from this song. <laughs> and it's a it's a song by Theodore Metz. And uh, there was something on Wiki. I was sort of looking up the history of this uh, particular song, and they were sort of trying to uh, propose where did this song actually come from. And and one of the stories is that uh, while they're on tour with the McIntyre and Heath Minstrels, their train arrived at a place called Old Town. Um, from there, the train window, uh, Metz could see a group of children starting a fire near the tracks. One of the other minstrels remarked that there'll be a hot time in the old town tonight. And I wonder, because he sets the guy alight with, yeah. um, with, yeah. the, with the buzzer, maybe that works perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. does. It's great. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, and, you know, it, it's sort of, yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes sense to include songs of this vintage as well, because one of the beautiful things about this film is that it has this semi-1940s aesthetic that is not really there, but it sort of feels... Noirish. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, songs of that vintage being on characters' minds makes sense. Yeah. And, of course, later on in the, uh, in the movie, there is that hijacking of the TV news mm. where the Joker just comes in with that sort of hilarious commercial. And there is some commercial music that happens uh, during that. And that was uh, composed by Danny Elfman as well. And one of those, uh, I guess, uh, similar to that Jurassic Park where they had an ad mm. inside the the movie that was also composed by John Williams. This is a similar version by Danny Elfman. And uh, let's just have a listen to it because I think it, it has its, uh, once again, like the waltz, mm. it sort of harks to all of this very similar feeling music. But anyway, here it is. Here's the um, uh, the Joker's commercial music. And of course, it's using that uh, wonderful 
uh, orchestral technique, string technique, pizzicato strings. And there is a there is a large amount of mostly American really uh, music that has the use of this sort of pizzicato uh, strings. And um, I believe really he's sort of uh, Elfman is is taking off most closely David Rose, who um, you guys might know as the composer for the Stripper. Um, da, 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 da. Yeah, so he's that composer, and he has a piece called Holiday for Strings. And let's see if we can hear a similarity here. similar nice spot yeah <laughs> as, a, as a string player fast pizzicato is actually quite tiring so it certainly is not a holiday for strings <laughs> and um, we call it workout for strings in I, fact I, I can imagine elfman really enjoying writing that like yeah, he's sitting down at the piano be like ah oh, like this is gonna be great guys like nobody's gonna pay attention to it but this is gonna be the funnest piece for me to write for the entire film <laughs> and there's actually a modern uh, example of this that's used in a modern TV show, and that is It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And they use this exact sort of era of music. And, the, and mm. the, the composer, they actually, it's not new music that's written for the TV show, they've actually just licensed it out. And the majority of the cues are by a German composer uh, called Heinz Kiesling, who was uh, famous for writing um, TV themes for German TV sort of soaps and, and things like that. You mean Dutch? Uh, yeah, Dutch, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the American Dutch. Uh, and this is just a little sample of that that appears in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. You were talking about that that tiring pizzicato. How mm. fast is that? But a little, little, but a little, little, it's got to be a sample. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't play it. That's yeah. Um, do you know what I think the mm. the Elfman one felt a bit like the opening of Mr. Salmon? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, just yeah, in that sort right. of the outline of the arpeggio there, tracing anyway. out a major yeah. major seventh. major seventh chord. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Beautiful. And we were talking about the gallery earlier with that that amazing uh, spray can percussion and there is actually a you know when they are actually in the middle of trashing everything they've got the boom box out again and because of course they uh the joker can't go on a date with vicky vale without trashing the place first before sitting down to dinner and the boom box is playing prince's party man and i chose this one as the the last of the prince uh pieces even though it's quite a few of them because i think there's some interesting lyrics in here that i think just suit the um or at least reference the movie in a, a really nice way. Anyway, here it is, uh, Party Man. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence.
I mean, I think this this piece really works but more than maybe some of the other Prince songs in, yeah, the, in this, the film. This is a really great scene in the mm. film. It's really fun. You know, yeah. it's like, it's got really kind of bad boy, you know, where they're trashing yeah. the place. Yeah. Totally. It, it's sort of the Joker arrives. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's the Joker's full confidence. Yep. He's untouchable. And, you know, even the opening line from Prince is, what is it? It's something like, um, all hail the new king in town or something. Yeah. And, um, but later on, I thought really interesting. He, he says, and it's, repeated quite a few times he says black and white red and green and this is really interesting because the costuming which we rarely talk about in art of the score <laughs> art of the costume is i noticed while watching the film that vicky vale in particular wears either black or white throughout almost mm. the entire film and certainly whenever she's with Batman, when she's at the um, the newspaper, she's wearing black or she's wearing white dresses or, or black sort of skivvies. And the only time she wears colour is when she goes on the date with the Joker. So you have this black and white, which potentially represents either Batman or Vicky Vale or both because you've got Batman in all black. And then when she, you know, when she's going to actually have that date with the Joker, first time there's colour involved. And in many ways, the Joker is the only colour in the film. You look at all of the costumes of, of everybody else in the film, they're in sort of drab browns and, you know, all the all TV presenters are in these sort of brown mm. suits and black suits and everything's sort of drab and um, there's no life to it. And so the Joker comes in bursting with all this colour and, of course, the, the reference to red and green, red being his smile and green being his hair. And it's, in some ways, uh, Prince has captured the costume mm. choice <laughs> and um, even color palette for of the, the of the film. For, yeah. Of the film. It's a really yeah. So yeah. it's um it's a it's a really cool little one on yeah, that one. Definitely. So yeah. So let's move on, Nick. So look, just to sort of wrap up another, you know, a couple of little cool bits in the score. One thing we have to talk about is what I consider to be the best cue in the score. It is absolutely my favorite one, and it is a scene that it has absolutely no dialogue whatsoever, and that's the. The, what's called the descent into mystery queue. And it's when basically uh, Batman has saved Vicky Vale and takes her back uh, after driving through the forest to his Batcave. And we just get this really fantastic bit of music, which I'd like to play in its entirety because it really is it's sort of a minute 30 of gothic build and a rare use in this score of the chorus as well.
finally get that little uh, motif right at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's it's great. a lovely cue. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think that's the best cue Elfman's ever written. Uh, that, wow. in my, I'm going to go out there. Maybe Whoa. maybe the, the main theme from Edward Scissorhands is mm. pretty close up there. But I just think as a perfect little package that is – maybe because it gets its own – sort of spotlight in the film yeah because yeah. um, they're in the car they're in the Batmobile yeah. there's no me, talking and it, it feels like a car commercial for the Batmobile <laughs> they're kind of it's beautiful angles it's sort of mm. luxurious shots of them sort of you know in their really beautiful leather seats inside and it's just sinewy through the forest it's like a gothic car commercial for mm. the Batmobile and Nick this is becoming a, um, a favourite of mine can you start that queue up right from the start and we'll just right at the beginning there's those wheels turning it's the propeller mm. music no, yeah, but this time it's right. wheels. It is, absolutely, yeah. Well well spotted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and very quickly, I mean, keen classical music lovers will hear the choral chanting in there, very reminiscent of this. Which, of course, we all know as... The Carlton Draft ad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for those of you in Australia, it was made very famous in a Carlton Draft <laughs> ad where the orchestra played and there was a choir of men singing, It's, it's a, a big, big ad <laughs> for Carlton Draft. Yeah. Anyway, you get the idea. But it is uh, Carl Orff. Uh, Carl Orff, yeah, Carmina from Carmina Burana. Burana. A yeah, very yeah. influential piece, yeah, which you know had influences in other films, which we could discuss another day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting to go from that cue to the one that I want to talk about as a, a nice little, well, a little moment in the film, uh, because I think I think the thing about this film is that it's got, well, the score rather, is that it's got a lot of moments that aren't hugely original but that nonetheless have a real Elfman stamp on them that it doesn't matter it's like Star Wars you know in that that, that there's obvious influences but Elfman does enough with it that it becomes its own thing and it's fantastic and that's the strength of the score and that's why it doesn't matter that obviously the main theme is sort of heavily influenced by Bernard Herrmann and you know all those great moments and that's why you know the vertigo moments we spoke about before doesn't matter but to me the reason why you can't say it's one of the greatest scores of all time because I don't, I don't believe that. I think it, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, it would be below twenty in the list for me, but it would be up there, right? But it wouldn't be any higher because I think there are quite a few moments where it's just like, it's too close and it's too just like thrown in there as a sort of, you know, a nice little, uh, well, you know, th- this sounds good in this other film, so it'll sound good here. Uh, and uh, my the moment that I want to talk about that really got my attention when I was re-listening to the score is from the cue The Bat Cave. And I'll just play this uh, little sequence now. So, I mean, yeah, when I heard that, I almost fell off my chair because that is Bernard Herman 100% of the way. <laughs> it's not necessarily a specific part of Bernard Herman. There are, I mean, I'll, I'll play now. Um, the closest that I could find quickly off the top of my head is the cue, the forest from Vertigo, actually. And uh, we'll just um, play this little, this little sequence to show you the similarity. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just one of the trademark Herman things that he does in all of his scores, that sort of, you know, anxious, unresolved woodwinds moving between a couple of clustered chords, uh, often with muted brass. But w- would you say that's a rip-off or just like a, a thing that works, you know? I mean, look, we could have no, a I whole... Would, I would say that it's unusual enough in the history of film music that to me, okay, when yep. I hear that, I'm like, that is not Danny Elfman, that is not this film, that is Bernard Herrmann who's just been sort of transplanted in here. And because unlike the chasing up the cathedral sequence where there's a thematic similarity, you can kind of say, yep. you know, where... Which we're, are easier to speak, for, right. sorry, to pick for your average, average listener out right. there. Um, this to me is just like, maybe it was the temp cue that was used there or maybe as we well know Elfman is a big fan of Herman but to me it's just I just hear that and I'm I don't know it leaves a slight distaste in my mouth (laughs) it does work of course it works but it's it's Herman Herman (laughs) yeah Great, great composers steal. No, uh, what's, what's the damn quote? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, mm. Im- imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, look, I go back to the one that I think I, I said in, in, in our Hitchcock, uh, in our Herman uh, uh, episode, which is that Hitchcock himself said that self-plagiarism is style. And that, <laughs> that is where you can get yeah. away with it, I think. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. And I thought I would, uh, you know, throw out my favourite moment. And it's actually the final, the finale uh, cue. This is after the uh, Joker has fallen to his death. uh, And it's when they're they're lighting the bat signal. And, you know, they do this nice sort of um, pan up through the towers. And it finishes with Batman standing on the the top with the, you know, the symbol out next to him and, you know, Mm -hmm. cue the merchandise and so on. So, (laughs) but this is, this is a really great cue. And once again, Nick, do you mind if I play the whole thing? Because I think Uh, this is uh, a... I would, I would protest if you didn't. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful, not only is it a great cue, but it's, it's a resolution of everything that we've heard so far. Yeah, we hear the love theme in there as well. Yeah. So, everything happens. We hear a, uh, well, actually, let's not talk about before we listen to it. Here it is, uh, the finale to Batman.
Oh, so good. Wow. <laughs> so operatic. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And and before before we analyze it too much, the the first thing that came to mind rewatching this the other night is that wow, this I've I've heard this before and this is bears a striking resemblance to the end of Strauss's uh, Eisel Sprach Zarathustra, excuse my German, which was used in 2001 Space Odyssey as well. And um, here's a little sample from right at the end of that, that opening prelude. And uh, you'll see, hear the difference or hear the, hear the similarity. I love that organ at the oh, end. Strauss is just a smart <laughs> ass. It's like, I'm going to one-up Elfman and hold the organ longer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even though he wrote it probably 100 years earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Strauss also didn't finish with the uh, the Batman theme at the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah. Don't revert you, to the minor key. Don't you think that it's incredible that they... So they go through all of that sort of um, development and, like you said, the love theme comes in there and then it's this build and build and build and it's all... And it becomes the most overtly major yeah. theme. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sort of rising up. And then it finishes and they can't, he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't Mm. just say, he won. It just comes straight back in with, um, you know. (laughs) Don't forget, there might be a sequel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) To me, that's sort of what it says. Again, I think we said this in the previous Mm. episode. It's like, the end. Question mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or it's sort of like, "Hooray, the film's over!" Don't forget, he's a he's a he's a dark superhero. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little reminder of of, of Batman. And totally. also because it's the you know it's the fact that they've just got the bat signal. It's like now they know who they can call on. Of course, mm. there's going to be more. You know, it's, yeah, so it's not absolutely. him finishing in the light. It's him mm. going straight back into the darkness and it, back to it's work. It's the musical and filmic equivalent of next. You know, same channel, same <laughs> yeah, time, yeah. But yeah. same bat channel. Same, that, sorry, that, same that, bat yeah. channel. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the thing that I love the most about that cue is is when it's starting to really get into it and probably get over the top in the best possible way. Is, that, is it the crotail? Crotail? Uh, no, the, 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 bells? the tubular bells. Tubular or bells. Chimes. chimes yeah. 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 The tolling bell. It's just, it's, uh, it's fantastic. Because he's standing still at the top of the cathedral, isn't he? Yeah. So you've got the... It's a strike of midnight. Yeah, strike of the bells, you know, at the top of the cathedral yeah. there. So. Or maybe his dinner's ready or something. <laughs> yeah. Bruce, come in. It's yeah. Alfred <laughs> ringing the dinner bell. Well, I mean, you know, it like goes back to Wagner again with Parsifal with the bells, the tolling bells, yeah. the, you know, the, 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 um, the, the key significant musical invention of that score and, um, you know, calling the, the, the knights to the Holy Grail. So maybe... Nah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Mm. I mean, the, the fact that he didn't use that organ... Mm. I mean, they're at the cathedral. Yes. He could have used the organ. True. Because that's a great moment for Strauss there. <laughs> anyway, I think that's about it, guys. What do you reckon? I think so. I think we got there. Uh, well, that brings us to the end of our analysis of Batman. That was a fun one. Um, we hope you enjoyed yourself. And if you did, go ahead and press subscribe and write us a review on iTunes. Um, that sort of stuff really helps us get the word out. But you can also hit us up on uh, Twitter. 
and on Instagram and now on Facebook. Thank you, Dan. And uh, if you have any questions about the scores, um, then, you know, ask us a question on those, on those outlets and we really love to hear from everyone. So, until next time, I'm Andrew Pogson. That's Dan Golding. It's been fun. And he's Nicholas Buck. And I will never rub another man's rhubarb. (laughs) Rightly so. And this was Art of the Score.